Susan Ruth here. Thank you for listening to episode 42 of Hey Human Podcast. Now, normally I start with talking about the person that's on the episode, but not today, my pretties. Today I'm going to say, hey, listen to Hey Human Podcast? I guess you do, because you're hearing me talking right now. Do me a huge favor and please get out there and spread the word. If you're liking it, you're digging it, you want to share it with your friends on social media, um, you know, get the word out. A a few of you have been doing that. I really, really appreciate it. It helps so much. Um, You can subscribe on iTunes. Um, I'm on Stitcher. I'm on Podbean. Uh, Obviously, it's at heyhumanpodcast.com. And there's a bunch of links, especially um, the last couple episodes have been a lot of links. So there's a lot of uh, extra information that I throw up there. Um, so that's pretty cool. And anyway, so it's in all the places and stuffs and social media, you know, it's on Instagram and Facebook and I'm terrible at Twitter, but I'm trying. I really am. Um, and all those are under Hey Human Podcast. And please, you know, if you know cool people or not cool people or, you know, terrible people, (laughs) I don't know, maybe not terrible people, but you get the idea. Uh, email me and say, Susan, check out this person I know. Or maybe it's you. Maybe you're cool and terrible and wonderful and weird. Um, Susan at HeyHumanPodcast.com. I would love to hear from you. And yeah, rate and review on iTunes if you get the chance. Super groovy if you do that um, because it helps a lot with getting getting the numbers up and getting it out there and all that kind of... I don't know how it all works. It's math, not my best subject. Metrics, something with computers. There's robots involved, I'm pretty sure. Uh, you know, well, who knows? Maybe a guy that's like made out of cheese? No, that's the man on the moon. I don't know. A lot of people are involved. I'm, I'm telling you. So, and you can be involved too. So get the word out. Boy, was that a rabbit hole of conversation. <laughs> Anyway, so speaking of conversation, this episode, I had a lovely conversation with Caleb Mundy, and he is a law student. Uh, When we had the conversation, it was about uh, not quite a year ago. It was back in July, August-ish, when I first started the podcast, and I'm just now getting to putting it up there. Sorry for the delay. So there's a couple references we make that will make sense that it's older, and we also reference um, an older episode that uh, I had, because uh, we talk about immigration law and, and such, because that's what Caleb is studying in school. And um, I had Andrew Earhart on the podcast. I'm, I'm looking right now, if you can tell, I'm, I'm stalling for time, because I'm trying to remember which episode he was in. He also, um, Caleb references Ruby's episode, and she was on episode four. So if you haven't gone back and listened to some of the older ones, uh, Ruby and I, man, that was a really good, good talk. I, I very much enjoyed that. Oh, here it is, Andrew. So um, Andrew is on episode eleven. So we reference both of those episodes. Go back into the the past and hear those if you if you're so inclined. Anyway, Caleb, uh, bass player, law student. Um, he's certainly a champion for the underdog. He's super bright, really interested in human beings and humanity on the whole, as am I. And he's got a really fantastic beard. I mean, like, a beard. This gigantic... its I'm pretty sure that it involves magic somehow. You'll understand what I mean by that when you hear the episode. Um, Anyway, super cool dude. Really got into it. 
Hope you do too. And uh, again, thank you so much for listening. Please spread the word. And uh, yeah, here we go. Wee. I'm afraid this like might not be the best interview because... It's going to be awesome. I feel like the best interviews are people who don't want to be interviewed. And I've always wanted to be interviewed. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it takes all kinds of kinds. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Caleb, thank you for joining me. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Mm. We're mm. drinking some fine Tennessee. No, it's got to be Kentucky. I don't know why I said Tennessee. Why'd I say that? Because that song. <laughs> no, it's really good, actually. Some delicious bourbon. Some delicious bourbon, which apparently can only be from Kentucky. Just like true champagne can only be from Right. Other than champagne. that, it's like sparkling wine or whatever. Yeah. So snooty, really. Yeah, people really have to... And I, you can't... I may be getting this completely wrong. That's the beauty of me. I can get stuff wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you can't drink at the distilleries in Kentucky, right? They're dry county that the distilleries in. I know that that happens a lot. Like uh, the Lynch, Lynchburg, the county that Lynchburg's in, where Jack Daniels is, is a dry county. Yeah. It's interesting. When I was at school, we had these like famous like Dutch fusion artists like come through to like give a clinic I was because I was a music major at Belmont my undergrad and they came through and it was like we were all like wow they're so amazing this guy uh, who this, this especially this one like player who'd been in this band called Brand X like in the 70s and then like I, I ended up like hanging around afterwards or something and, and, and heard one of the guys mention like yeah we took the Jack Daniels distillery tour yesterday and then we couldn't drink there so when we got back to nashville we were all inspired and like hit it hard and apparently the guys were all like super hungover like trying to perform for these students. oh man nothing like electronic <laughs> music when you're hungover yeah. that's gotta be a nightmare it's pretty funny to find out i mean because we couldn't tell they were dutch so like or dutch people just seem drunk all the or time. german or something like they were Europeans, so like <laughs> their mannerisms weren't like immediately identifiable as mm. like being By an feeling bad yeah i would say that that's it's a Gross generalization. However, I would say that that does make sense because most of the the Germans, at least that I know, and a few Dutch that I know, are they're very reserved. They're very well yeah controlled. Not controlled in an icy way, but just they're in touch with who they are, and they don't. They're not grandiose. Yeah. At well, all. and he wasn't like holding his head and acting grumpy. But yeah. I just didn't know like if yeah. maybe his English wasn't that quick or whatever. That's so. why I like Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> I, I, is he is he Austrian or Dutch? What is that character Hannibal Lecter? I'm talking yeah. about the TV one. Not that Sir Anthony Hopkins didn't do great in the movie, super creepy and wonderful. Yeah, but I've I've been watching Hannibal the TV show, and I got I'm I've just started the third season, and I actually texted one of my friends. I said, "All right, confession. I'm sort of finding Hannibal Lecter hot. I, <laughs> I feel like you know." I might look the other way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you still, what does this say about me? I mean, I heard I haven't seen that, but I've heard that they made him like a really identifiable. I think they, I think they've worked on that yeah. for sure. He's impeccable, really, in general. Yeah. Even in, even in his murders, he's quite impeccable. You gotta appreciate someone who's really good at their craft. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> even if it's yeah, you know? skinning people. Or yeah, he did somebody uh, in one of the episodes. He made a comment. Somebody said, "Oh well, you know, you're a cannibal," and he's or he was eating one of his victims and serving part of his victim to the victim. It was, oh. it, was um, uh, it was great. <laughs> it's gross and great, but uh, so the victim said, "You know, 
you're cannibalizing me. And Lecter's instant response, because it's written for him, but his, his response was, it's not, it's not cannibalism when you're not equal. Oh. I thought, wow, that's freaking badass. Like, so eating an animal isn't, or whatever. Right, so in other words, he views the people he kills as less than. Oh, that seems to make sense with what I know about that character. Yeah. Being like a it's really fascinating. genius guy or whatever, yeah. I also, because I'm weird and go down rabbit holes on the internet, um, I found out that the, in one of the, do you know the, the show at all? Uh-huh. Uh, well, one of the characters, Hannibal drugs him, and then the guy like cuts his own face and feeds it to dogs. And that happened in real life. He The, the writer of Hannibal Lecter of the book got that out of another book of true crime, of, of true grossness, whatever, oh, <laughs> whatever the book was. I was like, wow, that really happened. And of course, when I was down the rabbit hole, they did show a picture and I went, whoa, it was pretty yeah. gnarly. No, I don't, I have a really low capacity for uh, goriness uh, and like um, cruelty, even yeah, in fiction. Yeah, cruelty is bad. So yeah. I can't, like, I don't do, like, I'm, I'm watching, I'm slowly watching Stranger Things, which I really oh, like, but yeah. like, I was not, it's, I was very hesitant to, to try it because it gets billed as a horror and I don't do any horror suspense or anything yeah. ever. Yeah. So, but I really like it. It's not... It's kind of Goonies, right? Meets E.T. or something. I mean, it's, it's not... Yeah, yeah. It, there's some, like, scary moments, but I... the And I'm on, like, the... I've seen, like, three and a half episodes, mm-hmm. so I don't know. But I think the scariness is on the, uh, like, uh, level of... Uh, what's his name? The guy that does all the... Uh, the the village and oh M Night Shyamalan it's sort of M Night Shyamalan like startling was, things happen Shyamalan Ding Dong like, yeah. don't know how to say his last name no offense to you M Night I yeah think awesome. so far there's like scary things happen but I haven't seen anything on screen that like nothing that freaks you totally yeah out. I I've been like sleeping afterwards scary I like um well here's the thing I blood and gore don't really bother me I don't like I say this on every dang podcast I don't know why it always comes up but I don't like. No cruelty to animals, no cruelty to children. I yeah. do not abide that at all. But jerky people, sometimes you think, hey, you kind of deserve that, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and it doesn't, the bloody gore stuff doesn't, it doesn't bother me. This, that that kind of movie doesn't freak me out. The movies that freak me out are the demon possession movies. I'm like, that might be possible. I don't know. Oh, you know, yeah. that stuff freaks me out. The people I've known who are really into, like, horror movies, like, yeah. the only ones that ever scared them were the ones that were, like, made realistically. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is really happening. And they're like, mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's scary. Well, okay, so Caleb, now yeah. that we've been talking for ten minutes. Sure. Tell the fine folks about yourself a little bit. Um, well, I am about to start my third year at Belmont School of Law here in Nashville. Um, Is there a concentration, or do you just do law in general? Uh, and do they be... hand you a scale when you start? <laughs> <laughs> no, but they do try to blind you with work. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... Um, the, I'm like, oh, how technical do we want to get about yeah, law? Yeah, as technical as you want. Like, so, <clears throat> law school, like, Belmont offers some concentrations in healthcare, and they have a criminal law, and they have a um, entertainment law, and so they'll do, like, if you, com- you just have to complete certain courses, and then they'll put, like, give you a certificate that says, like, you got a law degree also, this other thing, but law school, uh, and I don't know how other schools work, because there's some very different programs out there, mm-hmm. but generally, you just kind of get a degree and the way you specialize is that how, when you do your internships and when you actually get hired. That makes sense. Um, so, and basically like everyone I've talked to, it's a well-known fact that like you get out of law school and you don't know anything 
terribly useful about the law. It was a funny thing to say, like, because they work really hard to, at making, like, practical classes where you can, you might be able to walk out and write whatever you need to do. But realistically, like, whatever area you practice in, you have to get out and, like, get to know the, the documents and get to know the players in the court if you're a court person or whatever. And all the cases. And yeah, Isn't yeah. that what the interns do? They bring you all that stuff and say, this is what you need to read? Yeah, well, internships are all very vastly different. Like, my internship this summer, my main one was a lot of, like, attending court with the attorney mm, I worked for. Okay, and, like, cool. doing some research on country conditions reports, like, what's going on in El Salvador that makes it a hard place to live in or whatever mm-hmm. for asylum applications. But, like, my roommate, he was working for a big firm. Uh, he was gone all summer. And he was working for a big firm doing, like, civil cases in Chattanooga or whatever. And he was, like, writing... Uh, doing research and writing, like, finding case law and writing something up every day. Yeah. Because they would be in court and the opposing side would bring something up and they would send him, like, all right, t- tomorrow morning we have to have an answer to this, so go go figure it out. So no sleep for he you. He worked a lot harder than I did. Yeah. I read somewhere that even the lawyers make really good coin, that in reality when you break down how many hours they work, they're really even less than minimum wage. Yeah. And <laughs> so it certainly doesn't, like it doesn't pay what it used law. to... It's, I don't know, it's, it's a really wide spectrum because the people who make the big money are like partners in big firms, so they get a piece of everybody's work. Mm. That's how it works. But it's a pyramid scheme. Yes. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, they could sit you down and they'd be like, why would you only work for money you make when you could make money off of everyone who works for you? That's sure. exactly a pyramid scheme. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Yeah. So what, what got you into law? Um, wow, that's, that is the question. Were you a good kid or a bad kid? Oh, like, I was a super good kid. You were? Uh, yeah. I have no uh, interesting stories about breaking rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm always terrified to sneak, like the idea of like sneaking around and like. I'm sorry, I had to do. He has the longest beard ever, and and Caleb just pulled his sunglasses likely out of his pocket, but his beard is so long <laughs> that it looked like you just pulled your sunglasses out of your beard. That so was, it's a magic trick I'm working. That was really cool. <laughs> I didn't mean it. No, that's fine. Like but I was. That's for you know. <laughs> I would definitely be the kid, like, I wouldn't, like, go along with a plan to, like, sneak around the neighborhood and water balloon girls, because I'd be mm. too terrified of mm. getting caught or whatever, okay. like, as a kid. And I didn't, like... You're a good kid. I wasted so much time in my undergrad when I was studying music, like, I, like, didn't party at all, like, I didn't learn how to, like, go out and have a good time until a few years after college. So, yeah, I was pretty uptight about a lot of things. Um, God, the story of going into law. This is... Isn't really. I'm always like also fascinated this because I've been listening to your podcast, but like I'm like oh everyone you've interviewed so far has like done something, and I'm sort of no. like about to do something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I it's all kinds of kinds. I yeah. mean, I I just started posting them, obviously. So, but I have a ton. I mean, so okay. there's You're all like, sorts of things. There's, it's just, I love the idea of it of just like talking to people from different, yeah, from whatever. Just well, I'm interested very in apt so much title. stuff and. And yeah. I find people fascinating, and I'm hoping I can talk to people I don't agree with and don't like very much, too. I don't want to just... I mean, so yeah, far, I've really... It's like the trick, isn't it? Yeah, it really People is. say it's really good for you, but it's so impossibly hard to do. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting. <laughs> I'm going to try. We'll see what happens. I can help you find some people. <laughs> that'd be great. No, that'd be great. Um, so... So you got in, you said, I want to be a lawyer, because well, Billy's being bad, and I want him to pay. <laughs> I got... I mean, so I started law school in... August of 2014, I thought about going to law school for the first time in May of 2014. Oh. So I only, it was three months 
four months of of even like conceiving of the idea to actually starting, which was really jarring. Did you have an aha moment? That uh, sort of like it's funny now to look back because I find all this stuff in my history where I'm like, oh, like like I posted a thing on Facebook in like 2009 or something that said. I had taken a job survey, like what job should you have, and one and like two of them were law positions. Like one of them was judicial clerk, and one of them was law professor. I can't remember something like that. And I was like, no, that's stupid, because since I was like fifteen until I was thirty four, I only wanted to be a musician, and that's all I worked towards. And so it was a really quick mm-hmm. turnaround. But then I look back and I'm like, oh, because because I'm I entered wanting to do immigration. Or, and or adoption exclusively. There are so many areas of law I'm so uninterested in. Um, and I look back now and I'm like, oh, I wrote a paper in 2004 for an English class about immigrants. And I'm like, where did that come from? Somewhere I have no you. idea. Yeah. Like, it was, yeah, it was a pretty terrible paper, but... Um, <laughs> And, but, and both my English teachers, neither of them were born Americans, which I think is interesting. One was from Russia and one was from Taiwan. Wow. Um, boy, the Russian guy loved, loved grammar. But um, uh. he was very, like, not terribly warm. But, um, <laughs> so, like, this story has kind of changed a lot because I, will st- I've, I started it, like, when I did it, I'm like, I did it for these reasons, some of which were easier to admit than others. And then later I, was, I can look back and be like, oh, man, like, my parents hosted... Um, foreign servicemen through their church when I was like three and like these guys were coming in for technical training in Texas and they would like spend the weekend with us or whatever and I'm like oh my dad's always liked like whatever kind of ethnic food he can get a hold of or whatever my sister married a guy from Trinidad like I've had all these like you're a global family yeah although you probably wouldn't guess that today you met us maybe maybe but but yeah, yeah like there's been a lot of like pieces that have come together and then, like, I, I thought about, like, Belmont just started a law school five years ago, and I was joking with a coworker of Ben. I'm like, I heard they're really throwing around a lot of money. Like, let's just go take the LSAT and see, without studying for it, and see what we can get. And I thought, oh, that's a big joke. And then, you know, three years later, I was there, which is like, oh, what happened? So it's funny, like, to look back, but... Uh, so basically, 2013 was my most successful year playing music. Like that was the I spent like eight months with a real signed country act doing the tour bus and the airplane thing. Can you say who? It was a band called The Farm. They were on Warner Brothers. The yeah, sure. they're amazing performers. It's still the best show I've ever seen or been a part of. Wow! Like they're so good. Um, we'll have to do a link on the website. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, they're they're all doing side stuff now too, as well. I think is keeping the group. But I did that, and then um, I did, um, I was having, like, and I always had at least a part-time day job, so that was difficult, but then I was playing, like, a few club gigs in town, um, and I was making, like, a ton of money, and I was finally on this signed thing, and I was playing with, like, this guy, Will Denton, played drums for the farm, and he'd been, like, a hero of mine for a long time, like, it, and he was the guy that helped me get the gig, so it was really, really fun, and um, it was it was a little bit harder of a gig than I was actually good enough to play when I got it so I had to work really hard to get, get up to their level especially in showmanship it's definitely it's the hardest country gig out there I think and you like, play I play bass. bass bass guitar I play a little upright too but mostly bass guitar so I had that gig um, and this is why I wasn't <laughs> anxious to say the name of the group but like 
they so they lost their deal that they had at the time in like that fall and then like all my club gigs fell apart at the same time like I'd had Thursday nights at the Tinder Fund of Mungreen for like five years and wow. it was good money yeah. and it was packed and those football players from Vanderbilt raped that girl and they had been at the Tin Roof. I, there's some connection there where oh, all of a sudden... Oh, you know what? Yeah, because I, I had heard about that. In fact, girls when are, are, are told in Nashville, not to disparage Tin Roof, I go there and yeah, it's fine. I but, love them and their management's awesome. <laughs> yeah, they're great and they have good nachos. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, they're really good to, to performing songwriters they're and great. all that stuff. Yeah. But there was, for a time, that sort of warning bell to females in Nashville... Be careful with your drinks at the tin roof. Yeah, and I don't think. Moving. But to be just to be fair, yeah, that's a warning that girls get. Period. Yeah. I mean, I got roofied when I was twenty something at a party while I was with my boyfriend, and I had gone to the bar, and one of the bartenders did it. Now, thank God I was with my boyfriend because yeah. he got me out of there. But if I hadn't, if I'd been alone or. Who knows? So yeah. it happens everywhere. It's yeah, not and I don't. Like I that. think that was like something to do with the crowd that that had congregated there, and not because I know their staff really well, and like there's no way they would have ever. No, they're all a bunch of love bugs. Yeah, yeah. So whenever that happened, like the well, one of the gigs I had two gigs a week there, and one of them got cut just because no one ever came. It was like somebody's experiment of trying mm-hmm. to get like a thing going, and it didn't work. It was on like Wednesday nights, and then like. The Nights thurs- are weird too. You- yeah, the Thursday night thing, like because that incident happened, and I, I always feel bad being like I have a personal grudge against those guys, even though my it's infinitely less than the girl who was actually assaulted. Clearly, sure. but I'm like they were, like they it for the crowd time. disappeared, yeah. and then they had to start like trying to fix that. So like I got cut from like we lost some of our nights there. Yeah. Which was like had been regular income forever. Yeah. And then I got this gig with this guy um Don't rape kids, it's a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. And then I got another gig with a guy that was like a van and trailer thing and it, it was just a bad fit like culturally with me. Like I was a little older than the guys and they really wanted to party and I like had a girl that I was seeing that I really liked and I wanted I was still working the first half of the week. So we get done on a Saturday night and I'd be like, let's go home. And they'd be like, we want to party. And, um, and, and just didn't mesh with, like I meshed with like half the band and not the other half. So it wasn't like I got fired and I wasn't terribly surprised by that, but I went in from like August of 13 to, to February of 14. Like I went from like doing the best I could to like being whacked down to nothing. nothing. And when I looked back later, when I like, like added up my shows that spring when I did my taxes, I was actually like did fine, but it just felt like oh man, and I and I hit that place where I think a lot of musicians hit where they're like because there's so many ups and downs, like it's easy to quit on the down, and I I've often wondered like oh, if I'd have just stuck with it, like I'm sure I would have some kind of touring gig now, but anyway, um, so I was seeing this girl and I really liked her and I wanted to be around and I was just going through this thing where I was like man if you you have an artist gig as a side musician like kind of got to show up to everything because you can't make it hard for the artist and they need someone they can rely on so if you start subbing out a bunch of shows because you have a birthday party or whatever the only show I ever subbed out was because my brother got married and they were super nice about it Um, the farm was real committed to taking care of their players which I always appreciated because especially Nick the fiddle fiddle player and one of the, the singers like he had been a side guy for a long time so he really understood how it worked and and there were a lot of times when they the the three of them like bowed up for us and like 
like paid for extra travel to try and get us places when the bus broke down or whatever. Oh, that's like, cool. Yeah, but um, uh, but I realized like just the nature of the thing is you got to show up to everything that they schedule, and you because you it's a job. It's a job, yeah. and like that schedule can happen unexpectedly. Like it's not always scheduled out, and. And if you don't show up, if you are consistently subbing things out to other players, they're just going to – it's going to get too hard for the artist and they're going to pick one of the other guys. But then I realized like through no fault of my own and through no fault of the artists, like – and because of things that I'm never going to be in touch with like management decisions and label promotion budgets and all this stuff, like you can lose your gig – Without having done anything wrong. Sure. And the artist can lose their gig without having done anything wrong. Yeah. Which is totally true. Yeah. I mean, you know. A lot of fantastic artists lose their deals. Yeah, because somebody else made a decision that didn't work out. Or what? I mean, I know you're yeah. on that side of things, yeah. like writing and being an artist, sure. so you know. Yeah. So I was like, okay, like, that's, that's tough. Like, to be completely at call, but be completely droppable for whatever reason, you know. And these are things that, like, all my friends and, you know, about 2,000 players in Nashville understand it yeah. and I'm fine with. But I was like, oh, this is tough. And then also, like, I got out of undergrad with, like, huge debt. So I broke the number one rule of being a musician is that I had a huge overhead. you got to keep your overhead low and flexible. And that, that wasn't – that's why I always Delmont had a Delmont is not a cheap education. It's not. And I, like, did it dumb. Like, I didn't work through school and I didn't realize I – could just get a job right after. I was. I've had a lot of trouble uh, putting myself in a box in life, and being like, "Oh, you have to do it like this." Instead of being like, instead of getting a job when I walked out of undergrad and being like, "I'll just quit when I get a gig." I was like, "No, I have to stay available for mm. the gigs people weren't calling me for." Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, <clears throat> so anyway, like that was weighing on me. I'm like, I don't want to be. I'm either gone all the time or I'm broke. Like those aren't good ways to have a relationship. And also, and with the girl, you yeah, mean? yeah. yeah. And like, oh, for the first time I was like, oh, I might want to have a family. I might want to like do the, and these are things that a lot of people have worked out successfully. I want to be careful not to like oh, shit on being a musician. Not, no, you know, no, but, no, no. This is the whole thing about this podcast. This is every person's individual yeah. story. And the whole point is that people listening, they'll either say, oh, well, I agree with that or, oh, I don't agree with that. And it's my hope that regardless of who's on, there'll be at least one sentence that is uttered that gotcha. the person listening goes, I felt like that before. Yeah, well, I, I probably have some even on the people I don't agree with. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, and the other thing is, like, because I was always like I had to make this money, I had steadily worked myself out of any creative input. Like, I had had to turn down gigs with bands that would have let me be a writing member, mm. so I could go play a wedding or a bar gig to make the money. Yeah, and so I basically like the the. And I'll have to edit this a little bit as we go because this was my thinking at the time and I've had some more revelations since then. But like, I was like, oh, I I have to take this $300 wedding gig. I can't take this $80 touring night in Memphis or whatever with this cool indie rock band because I have to to pay these bills and I'm so super – I was terrified about it all the time. And so I had steadily worked myself into not only having – no creative input, like I was just learning songs other people had written or played on, but I also had worked my way out of – any a whole lot of meaning in what I was doing like I I love it like I love the, the magic of connecting on stage I love playing with like it's a it's it's more depth than it might sound like to like play with a really good set of musicians even if it's not something that I wrote or whatever or it's not a life-changing song 
But at the same time, I was like, what am I doing with myself? Like, I'm, I'm pursuing having fun for myself, and I'm basically helping people, like, at best, I'm helping them celebrate their wedding, which is a significant thing. Like, like being a part, that's an ancient thing to be a part of a celebration and a feast and be a musician at that kind of thing. Like, I, it sounds kind of... I get it. People get real down on being a wedding I read a lot of bands. mythology, so yeah. I understand. <laughs> People get down on being a wedding man, but there's a connection to something old and, and really yeah. significant there. But at the same time, like, at best, I'm helping someone, you know celebrate their wedding at worst I'm like helping some frat boy get laid like and helping people just drink at a bar and I'm like this is not a meaningful <laughs> not for you contribution to yeah, life sure. where I was at and I think honestly like I think fresh air ruined my life that NPR interview mm-hmm. show because I, I literally listened to it like every week every day, most days for like 15 years and I just heard of like world changers over and over again. And I, sl- I was slowly realizing like I'm not going to make it on that show as a musician at this point. Like, mm. which was another like, not definitely true thing, but it was what it felt like. I'm like sure. I'm, I'm in my 30s. Like I'm doing these kind of gigs. What, yeah. You know, I'm not gonna. Yeah. So I had been sort of like, when all of these things came crashing down, I had already been thinking. I'd already spent a lot of time with like a vague sense of there should be something more going on here Mm -hmm. and I can look back now and realize like oh I purposely avoided a lot of like hard like I never wrote because I had a real block about self-expression and about like allowing myself to be bad until I learned how to be good and like why do you think that is that's interesting I don't know that's something I'm going to get to at some point Uh, I I have a lot of like I have a a significant portion of part of my life and the way I run it is based on shame. Like I'm a, sh- mm. I'm a, a two or whatever on the Enneagram. I don't, I don't know what that means. I just took the thing and I don't know a whole lot about it either. But like, there's like motivating emotions. Mm. So I think there's shame, a lot of that. Shame is your motivator. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, mean, I think that's very common in humanity. Yeah, it's, it's people fear, shame, self hatred, self loving. You know, all that is certainly a motivator. Yeah, and everything that you say to yourself is true. Even if it's not. Right. There's the, yeah, there, yeah, exactly. Um, so, like, I don't, there was a block there. So I realized, like, this is, like, a revelation of, like, the last couple of months. Where I'm like, oh, I took a lot of easy routes. Mm-hmm. And that's why I ended Safe. up in a dissatisfied place. Safety. Know? Yeah. So <laughs> that's all contributes. I think, you know, I'm finally almost to the place in life where I feel like I can look back and be like, oh, I got where I needed to go. But I spent... Oh, like about 10 years like looking back and being like oh this is a string of mistakes and like I'm really waiting for the turnaround where I'll look back and go like oh I was where I needed to be every time you know Do you, so you still feel like it was a string of mistakes uh less because the way things are working out on the law end but like are you enjoying law Oh, that's a really complicated. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Good. That's I'm a better so question. Glad. That's a better question than do you like law school, which I get a lot. And I'm oh, like, law no, school. You're be not hard. supposed to like no. it. It's terrible. Like, I watched the paper chase. I know what's up. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen that? Uh-uh. Oh my god, get you to a Netflix. I think it's on Netflix. Paper Chase, the series. Okay. The movie's good too, but watch the series. Is it a like lawyer thing? Yes, it's it's, it's law school. It's exceptional. Oh, okay. It's an exceptionally well written and acted television series. It was okay. on PBS. So. So I got to this place like spring, late winter, early spring of 2014. And I was like, all right, what am I interested in? I'm interested in immigrants 
at some point I had volunteered a little bit with Catholic Refugee Services here. I had done almost nothing for them because my schedule hadn't worked out. But I had gone through their training, which is awesome. Because it just says, like, this is how you get to be a refugee and, like, all the stuff you have to go through to get into the States, which is crazy. It is crazy. And and they were, I mean, like, you have you start in a refugee camp in somewhere like Turkey or India. Um, and then you have to, like, you're at, like, a camp, which is a terrible place to live. Absolutely. And you go to the UNHCR tent and sign up and you go back every day and bug them until you get placed and it's like a two to three year process and of it's security horrifying. it's horrifying yeah. if you're a child it's horrifying if you're a woman and often they like spouses horrifying. will file individually because one will get in sooner than the other and then they can take the kids so they split up for a couple more years and mm-hmm. and it was it was interesting and also like the way you get to a refugee camp is you get up in the middle of the night and you Leave go however many hundreds of miles yeah. it takes to get to where you're going by whatever means, like foot or, you know, renting a bus or whatever. A lot of them don't make it either. <laughs> yeah. And it was funny because they told us in that training, they were like, "Your the job I did was to take these these families to a thrift store for them to get clothes. And they were like, don't take them anywhere else. Because the reason that they got here is they're incredibly persistent people. And they don't take no for an answer. And if they're like, I want, I need you to take me to the grocery store, you have to be super firm with them and be like, that's not my job. Like, I, my only job is to take you here. Really? It was really interesting. I was like, I had... It's fascinating. And I only met, like, I only successfully took one run. And it was this really young couple um, that had been refugees in India. And they were Bhut- Bhutanese. And that's a really crazy... Like, but Bhutan is, like, the only country in, a, in the world that has a... Uh, national happiness quotient like you have a gross domestic product like a GDP in most countries and Bhutan is like the only one that like measures happiness and it's supposed to be this like idyllic place and I really hope I'm not messing up the name of the country but it's it's Southeast Asia and anyway but part of the way that yeah part of the way that they achieved that was they identified all of the ethnicities that weren't Bhutanese and ejected them yeah or killed them or killed them yeah. yeah and so this couple I mean, they had to be in their early 20s, and they had a two-year-old child, and they had been in a refugee camp for over 20 years. So they were, like, met and got married and had a child in a refugee camp, and then, like, came over here, you know. So, like, I I just got a lot of admiration. So that was part of my background that had, like, built me into this. And I don't think people realize, I I don't think Americans realize the process of... They have no idea. No, no clue. And I just... I have to and be careful about like, no, what makes, I say about I, it. I can say it. It makes me crazy. It makes me crazy yeah. that they don't get in touch with their humanity. The, the security that you have to go through to be a refugee, like, number one, you don't get to pick the country you go to. You don't walk into a tent and say, I want to go to America. No. You talk, you walk into a tent and say, I want to get out of Iraq yes. or Syria. I want to be or, alive tomorrow. And so. the UNHCR and the host, like, negotiates with the host country about who they take. And yeah. so that's one thing. And if... The American security system is like 10 times more stringent than the European yeah. one. I actually had a guy on the podcast that's going to be coming up in a couple weeks that, well, when yours airs, it'll be a couple weeks prior. Yeah. But um, he, it's, his job is to help assimilate refugees awesome. into America. And it was so fascinating. Yeah. But he explained the American process of that. and It's like three, it's, it's like multiple background checks from three different agencies and they all do all this extra talking about it to each other i'm like if you want to get a terrorist into america get him a student visa like all of the 9-11 attackers none of them were refugees i'm like yeah. they all came in on business and student visas yeah. there's 
or just there's other ways that are a lot easier. Yeah. And but none of those a populations trying to leave their country is not like yeah. a terrorist. And people like they misunderstand because of how Europe has worked, and I'm like that's but it's not the same process. And also like it's the single most vulnerable population of people that you're saying don't come into and it's 50% women and it's 50% under 18 like it's a relatively small portion of single males um, and it's very frustrating to me and also I think like the thing that I've thought a lot in my head and that I have not said out loud <laughs> before now uh, except for in very private company is I equate it to cowardice like if, if you're like if you're gonna look at mostly women and children or even anyone in need and say like there's a possibility that someone bad is in that crowd but everyone else is in the most dire need and like I'll just lay it out there like the odds that you that anyone personally knows anyone who's ever been a victim of a terrorist attack in America is almost none like there were like three to five thousand people that were killed 9-11 there's been a few hundred here and there like it's real small and most were domestic terrorism right and like I know this is like a kind of a cold thing to say but like so you're saying that someone you don't know who's an American, their life is more valuable than someone you don't know. I think very much so people believe that. And so I'm like, they're like, I mean, I had a lot of people, you know, that I've had conversations with since November when the big debate rounded its head around Facebook and whatever and about Syrians. And I'm like, I didn't say these things, but I'm like, if you're saying like you're, because they said thing like, well, you wouldn't let some, like someone come stay in your house. And I'm like, well, first of all, I absolutely would. So would I. I would welcome a Syrian to come live in my house, and I've, I'm part of a church group that's like welcoming, like being, actually doing that. Um, but I'm still like, it's not at all the same. Like your odds of experiencing danger from 10,000 Syrian refugees, which is all that we've approved so far, is incredibly minimal. But leaving them out is an immediate, definite harm to them. Like you're, you're. It's I think it's just cowardice. Like you're not willing to risk the smallest amount of danger to me their argument falls flat in this manner in that you're t- they're concerned that there's a rapist here or there amongst although the way they put it there's so many rapists coming in from from syria and yet let's let's just do a quick poll in america of how many american males yeah. have committed rape i think the number's a lot higher and they were born and bred here yeah. first of all second of all <laughs> These people are super okay with the fact that the prison system is filled up with not only guilty people, but some of the innocent people. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. So you can't have both arguments. Do it's, you know what it's I mean? Really it's, it's, it's not... And I love, like, and there's so many stories, <clears throat> so many stories, like, I really loved your interview with Ruby Amanthu because yeah. I'm like, this is She's exactly, awesome. like, this is the story that if you work with refugees, because people who'd make that, that, those kind of, like... Security-based, fear-based arguments. Like, they've never... Inter- they've rarely interacted. I'm not going to say never, but they seem to have rarely interacted with people. They just... They, you know... And, like, like that's exactly the story that you hear over and over again when you work with immigrants and refugees. They showed up. They worked their asses off. Absolutely. They put their kids into... Like, their kids did great. It's very rare to hear of a situation where that's not the case. And even, like undocumented aliens like people who come here like 
undocumented Mexican and South American aliens, they don't show up and suddenly start taking welfare. Like, they get some state benefits just because that's how emergency rooms work or whatever. But they show up and they work all the they time. They work so hard. And they, it's, I mean, there's, it's documented that they take jobs Americans don't want. Yes. And, and they're like, oh, they're working for so cheap or whatever. I'm like, the reason why they make it is because they have three jobs. Like, they're building communities. They're 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 almost always super family oriented people, and they're they're paying for family members that are still back in the country. And like you would be shocked to find out how many undocumented immigrants that I've worked on their file during internships or whatever. Who not only are they paying sales tax on everything they buy, they file federal taxes and pay them. Yeah, because the IRS does not talk to ICE. <laughs> <laughs> Which is was mind blowing when I found out. Ice being the immigration, immigration and customs yeah. enforcement. So there's three different parts of the government that interact with immigrants, and Ice is the one that comes knocks on your door and says, "You're Ice Ice baby." Yeah. Vanilla Ice is their spokesman. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> and so he, and he wears hammer pants. Yeah. Then <laughs> man, man, those are the guys that like I, everything I know about Ice is definitely based on stories, but. It's, it is. It's frustrating. I get frustrated with the news for even when one or two bad apples do something heinous, which is heinous. Yeah. It suddenly gets blasted. Like, all these people are rapists and terrorists and this, that, and the other. And, and shame on the media. But these days, truth doesn't sell anymore yeah. at all. Pulp fiction sells and sensationalism sells. It's frustrating. It's very frustrating, and also, I mean, I'm way getting way ahead of myself because in my story, but the the unfairness and the criminal violations of due process, like, and the fact that like like the vast majority of immigration violations are civil violations. It's illegal the same way that speeding is. It's not a jailable offense, but like ICE will just lie to people. They'll pick them up and tell them they can't. They don't have any options. They just have to get on the bus and go back to Mexico when they may have valid. Asylum claims, or there's a bunch of different route. Is that not kidnapping? I mean, it's. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the legal standard would be with that. It would possibly be a false imprisonment. And like, I've worked for people who, who make it their business to sue, ICE and other like things. And what you have to prove is that it's a practice and policy of the agency, not just an individual. Good luck with that. Well, it happens. I mean, I you know I've worked with people who've gotten significant sums from suing the government over things like deporting U.S. citizens who they didn't know were citizens and yeah. all kinds of stuff. Um, so or as you can see, like parents away from their children, their young children. Yeah. I've read about cases like that, which oh, all the time. I mean, we uh, I just had one that we worked on where um, I don't remember all the details, but this woman got picked up in upstate New York. I think it was definitely New England, um, and uh, her child got picked up with her and this three or four year old was just put in detention for like four days before they let the grandmother come and pick it up and you're like terrifying it's terrifying and there's a there's an immigration judge in uh, the Carolinas who like famously said like he thought a four year old could represent themselves in immigration court uh, an adult cannot represent themselves in immigration court you could take a poll of Belmont students at the Belmont School of Law right now and ask them what the hardest course was they ever took, and it would be immigration if they've taken it. It is an incredibly complicated system, and it's not fair, and it doesn't make any sense. And people will make the argument like, oh, people should just do it the legal way. Well, the legal way 
you can get screwed out of your legitimate claim without having done anything wrong. If somebody in some office files paperwork late, you're out of luck. Not only that, but I don't think <clears throat> Americans in general realize how expensive it is. Oh, it's incredible. Like I have, Between the oh, lawyers yeah, yeah. and the paperwork and all that, it is. In- so we're talking about people that are fleeing their country or maybe just fleeing a horrible life and wanting a better life, which yeah. I think there's something inscribed on a real tall green lady in New York <laughs> that talks about this. Like, yeah. I don't know, but... And then they are faced, if they're doing it legally, they are faced with exorbitant fees. Thousands and thousands Thou- of dollars. Upwards of 10000 I mean, I have friends in town who are Australians and Canadians or whatever that came over as artists, which, you know, that's a much less dire. And they and I, that's another link to me to what I was doing, is especially my friend uh, who's a drummer, like... He was one of my best friends in, in school, and like I was just interested in his story, like, oh, you know, how are you staying here, whatever. And it, he just, he was like, yeah, you just every three or four years, you just have to f- throw five or ten or fifteen thousand dollars at an immigration attorney, and like, it seems uh, a bit corrupt, doesn't it? When you look at it that way. Uh, no, I, I don't think so. Like no. the so the way to that pay splits five out, to ten thousand dollars. It's not like years. a bribe, though. It's like. There's a certain amount of its filing fees that you owe to the government, and a certain amount of its like f- lawyers' fees. So, I know lawyers are expensive, but really, yeah. a filing clerk. I mean, I filed songs with the Library of Congress; it costs seventy bucks. You know what I mean? Well, it doesn't go to an individual. <laughs> like, so uh, a, a, a DACA application, which is the, def- the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, which has been a subject of a lot of the Supreme Court cases, Obama's program or whatever, that is a four hundred and sixty-five dollar filing fee. Um, for little children to be? Uh, it's mostly teenagers and young adults because uh, they have to have been 15 when the law was enacted, which was in 2012. Okay. But um, And they can come to the country without a parent? Is that so parents send their kids? It's people who were brought in as children illegally by illegal ah, parents. Ah, okay. I get it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't provide a whole lot of benefits. It basically provides you can get a work authorization card and you can get, which in Tennessee means you can get a social security card, which means you can get a driver's license. Yeah. And you don't get prosecuted. It's yeah. basically the only thing you get. Um, it's, I've been I've worked a lot of those clinics with the nonprofit I work with in town called Tennessee Justice for Our Neighbors, and that's really fun because a lot of times it's like an immigrant situation you would expect. Like I just want to work to help my parents, you know, pay for whatever. But sometimes it's like a seventeen-year-old girl who wants to get a driver's license, and she's super excited about being to drive to the movies, you yeah. know, and that's really fun. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> the other thing I want to mention too is part of the rhetoric is that, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, cause you're going to know better than I, but that, that idea that, oh, well, these people are going to come in illegally and they're going to get health care and they're going to get this and that. I just want to say, as we spoke to earlier, they work their asses off yeah. in jobs that no American will touch. Sometimes two or three jobs. Yeah. There are. American-born, I'm going to say it, white people who have been sucking the teat of services their entire lives that don't have jobs, that they're very white. Yeah. <laughs> so that argument to me is, is a terrible argument. It's just, to me, it's just a racist, xenophobic it argument. It is terrible. And, and, and it's not that accurate. Like, you can definitely come up with numbers. Like, I know, like... The Southwest, there's been a lot of people who've generated like statistics on like, oh, illegal immigrants are costing so much in the public schools or whatever. But they're also like specifically denied a lot of public benefit. Like Tennessee, Tennessee has a specific state statute, and it's called the Safe Act, and it's from 
late 90s, early 2000s uh, by a senator, John Jackson or Jack Johnson. I can't remember which, which is really funny. The guitar player? No. Well, that's like two characters from his, anyway. But um, it but basically says like illegal immigrants can't get such and such and such benefits. Which is really an interesting, so this DACA program where you can get work authorization, you are not allowed to have any public benefit unless your state specifically authorizes one. Well, one of the things, a public benefit includes professional licenses. So I just had a client who couldn't get her ABC card to be a bartender because it's a professional license and that's a public benefit. Oh my goodness. So she can go work wherever. Is she an illegal? Yeah. Okay, so she's illegal. She wants to be a bartender, and they said she's here on DACA, so that means she's got a social security. She's approved to go work. Okay. She can go work anywhere, but, but she can't get a not. professional license. So uh. she, and most professional licenses you think of are like a law license or a nursing license or what or a doctor. But yeah, like, and some of these refugees are doctors and nurses yeah. and lawyers, by the way. Yeah, they're not scrubs. They're and so like she couldn't get like a bar. So like, she'd been a server at somewhere for like a couple of weeks, and they were like, "You gotta get she." You know, paid for the course, took the course, and then when the instructor oh. took their thing to take the paperwork down, and I had to call her and be like, "This looks like you can't." Oh, you know, I had to say like, "I'm not a lawyer. Make sure you talk to." I a play lawyer. one on TV. Yeah. <laughs> how so about, how far in are you? Love? I have a I have a year left, a year, and then a bar exam, which is like six weeks of study and then two seven hour tests. Are you nervous for that? Uh, a little bit, but I'm trying not to think about it because it's a long way off. Yeah, it's good. I have to live in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. We have a professor at Belmont who's a former Alabama Supreme Court justice, and he can he's a he's a definitely someone you would want as a dinner party guest. He's very interesting and affable, but he can be a people who are at that level of genius. I had this experience in music school too. Sometimes are at a really high level, like have trouble communicating to people who aren't at a high level because you get so far in, it's hard to remember what it's like to not know things. But he was really good about. It. He would take an hour out of class time like once a semester and just give us a speech about like life like the first semester was like a lot of people get divorced in law school so make sure you're like bringing your spouse along and like <laughs> introducing them stuff but one that he said he sat us down like last year at the beginning of our second year and he was like okay like your GPA is pretty set now because statistically it's harder like once the more grades you have the harder it is to change your GPA and like but he was like no matter where you are in the class ranking like Successful lawyers do the thing that needs to get done today. So, like, if you can get this, you know, like, whatever work has to be done today done, you'll be a great lawyer. Um, and That's a good pep talk. All the kind of stuff that he tells me like that always sticks with me, um, which is really funny because I have friends who would be frustrated by, like, that kind of speech. But I'm like, oh, man, I'll remember that forever. So, like, I try not to think too far about the box. <laughs> I don't have to worry about it for at least a semester. So, when you graduate, what's... What happens then? Where do you go? What, uh, what do you want to do? Well, I want to do... I've been able to narrow down my thing as I got through school and as I got experience out. I want to do humanitarian immigration. I definitely have some interest in civil rights. Like, I'm still really attracted to immigrants. And, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Part of that's just the food. <laughs> <laughs> I want more I want more good food in town. But, like, yeah, I mean, I'm still... I, I love... I mean, I'm just... I love the story of immigration. I, for whatever reason, be it like tragedy or trauma or just just an inspired thought, I love the idea of anybody who packs up and 
moves somewhere completely different and starts a life. I'm like so attracted to that story. You're an old soul. I don't know. You're probably a rabbi in a past life. Uh. And I'm not just saying that because of the beard, which is very rabbinical. It is very, it's definitely has a religious look to it. Yeah. I'm just a freaking hipster. Yeah. um, I mean, even that paper I wrote in college that was so terrible was about the comparison that like all Broadway show plots are basically immigration stories because a lot how many times has some girl moved from Nebraska to New York or whatever but anyway um, I've definitely moved to I want to do immigration from a humanitarian bent there's there's three ways to immigrate you can do it through an employer or through family or through humanitarian which is asylum and refugees like I'm interested in that and I'm interested in um, deportation defense and removal defense uh, which is all the trickiest stuff I'm less interested in like bringing in people for because a corporation wants to hire them. Although I will say the only two employment applications I worked on was for one was for a Mexican chef and the other one was an Indian chef. And that made me feel a little better about it. Like I wasn't bringing in some executive. It was like good pretty, food. Yeah. Well, I'm like kind of artist. Like a chef yeah. is an artist. You know. I agree. But, yeah. Um, I do have a civil rights bent because as much as I'm interested in in the immigration story, like it's also just crushing to like read systemic unfairness and injustice in America too and you're like sometimes it doesn't take I mean I think you will find a lot of the best attorneys in America are doing that work Mm -hmm. because it is high level work and you have to defeat people that you're if you're fighting against a government agency if you're suing a police department or if you're trying to get something through like the Supreme Court I mean that's you're, you're, you're up against the odds in some ways, but on the other hand, the, the attorneys that are doing that are often really the best, like really the yeah. smartest. And so the odds are almost kind of in their favor because you might be going up against somebody who's higher, like a city attorney who just wanted a good job and liked the variety of work, you know. Yeah. But I also don't know, like, I'm not sure I'm that guy. Like, that takes someone who's real smart and really creative and really high energy and really aggressive and likes to win because they're competitive, which I'm very not competitive. Yeah, I listened to a podcast, uh, Joe Rogan, who I love his podcast. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. great. And he had a, um, I think the lawyer's name was Michael Schmidt. I might be getting that wrong. If I am, I'll correct it when, when I do the beginning <laughs> of this podcast. I always say something yeah. at the beginning and I'll correct if I get it wrong. But um, he was a lawyer, a defense lawyer, and, and now he's a comedian. And oh, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I forgot. What, what were we talking about? Now my train went off the track. Civil rights and oh, defending, yeah. 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 So his whole thing was uh, he got out of it just because he couldn't, he couldn't take it anymore. He yeah. said it was just so overwhelming. But he said one of the key components to make a great lawyer is that competitive edge. He said at that point it's not even about your client. It's just about winning. Yeah. Which I thought was really fascinating. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know that I have that, but I mean, and it takes it like they're all, they all seem like burnout positions. I mean, I've I've worked for people who were up riding until two a.m. and getting up at four to drive to court. Man, and like, and and but like, they were also just crushing the opposition. Super passionate about yeah. what they do. And and my honestly like my quality of work is going to have to come up. I'm not a great writer. Like but those are the kind of I had great writing teachers, but I've just been, you know, 
But I thought it was an oral tradition. It's it's written. Uh, it's primarily written. Like oh. even even what you see orally. Like I think a jury trial is really oral because there's still even though you need to present the truth and like it's still pretty rigid. Like there's a certain amount of drama and like emotional appeal to a, a, a jury trial. Well, it's a, a really fine line you have to walk between like sticking to the rules of a court, which is supposed to be impartial, but also influence this group of people who are lay people. But outside of a jury trial, a lot of the vast majority of being a lawyer is written. Because mm. um, even like a Supreme Court decision or appellate court, they have an oral argument. But oral arguments will be like half an hour long for a Supreme Court. Each side gets about 15 minutes. But you might present a, a written brief that's 800 pages. And so you are just nailing down like the most important parts, and the and the justices are just asking stuff that they want clarification. You're doing on. a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. <laughs> and this slide. Exactly. You're you're picking your one or two most important things and yeah. and hammering them. But the judges and the justices and their clerks have been reading for a few weeks on your case. So oh, a, a, a lot no of this. Yeah. It's so interesting. Go ahead. No idea how anything worked in the law when I got into it. It was such a jarring. What if, that's see, I find that fascinating. The fact yeah. that you really just you don't come from a family of lawyers. No. You just jumped in and said, yeah. "Hey, yeah, this seems like a good idea." What's the very worst part of doing what you're trying to do, and the best part of doing what you're trying to do? Ooh, that's a good question. And also, it's a weird question because I'm I'm still in school. Yeah, I know. and also I'm in a weird place because I just wrapped up two internships and I start classes in a week hmm. so for your final year yeah final and, I, and I have a really awful sense of time like if I'm doing something for two weeks it feels like what I've done for my whole life and what I will do for my whole life I'm really bad about that so that's because time <clears throat> is fluid my friend yeah but at people there are better people with better perspective they're like I just have a cold this week and life's not going to feel like death in a week, and I'll feel fine. And I'll be like, I've been sick forever. And I'm always going to be sick. <laughs> so right now, <clears throat> I'm trying to make that transition between summer and classes, and like starting to do work again. And it's awful. All right, so throw it at me. All, All right, so the, um, so from where I'm at, and like what I've experienced, which is a mix of school and internships, because everybody says, and I'm starting to believe them, that being a lawyer has little to do with what you do in school. Like you, you, and that's, it's hard to give a nuanced description of that, but like you have to do all this crap in school to like get a good background and material and pass the bar. It's really about passing the bar. When you get out, like it's a very different set of tasks. Um, so, uh, the worst part about it for me is, uh, well, the hardest part for me was the identity change. Cause I had this identity based on being this like cool, laid back, blue collar, musician guy which is a terrible way to base like identity to base your life on I don't think so uh, I mean you should base your life on something like who you actually are not what you do and like yeah I could it argue it was an assumed identity I could argue that musicians who they are and what they do is the same thing you know what I mean like that's N as a yeah. musician and as a creative I say that who I am and what I do they're they're pretty much intertwined I mean I would agree with you and you're because I know what you do but I, it was an assumed idea. Okay. And it was a pretty shallow one. Okay. And so, like, the coming out of that and transitioning into these places where I was like, you're going to have to wear a suit. You're going to have to wear a tie. You're going to have to be polite to this person. You're going to have to do whatever. When I first started, we had this woman whose name I don't remember, and she was the head of, of the career services office at Belmont, which is, like, in charge of getting you a job and, like, training you on how to give a resume and stuff. 
Every time she would, she'd come, I think she'd come from like a big firm setting, very formal. Every time she would talk, I would my, my butthole would like get real cl- <laughs> clench up, up, and I would I would panic, and I'd be like, I have to leave school right now. This was such a mistake. Aww. And so I think a lot of that stuff has been the hardest part of like, and I've had to like buy clothes that I can wear into an office, but don't hate myself in, and like that was hard, you know. Because I before that about the beard, the beard is pretty epic. So far, I haven't had too much trouble about it. The teachers, there's only one tattoos and things. I mean, I wonder about. Yeah, I have a tattoo in my hand. I've asked people about it. I asked, I asked because somebody in a there was a local attorney that said something about like, oh, I met this guy from New York and he was a courtroom prosecutor and he had neck tattoos and I was like, what are you thinking? And I was like, man, I got one on my hand. He's like, ah, it's no big deal. What does your hand say? It says. Dave's private of it, which means God provides. And it's like, uh, my little brother found it. It's a, it's like an old crest that's attached to my family name, but oh. it's, my family's not that old, so I don't know what connection there actually All is families to. are old. Eat, right. <laughs> but, um, anyway. Um, I think that's a great tattoo for a lawyer to have. It's a good one. On his left hand, his sole hand. Yeah. That's, your left hand is your sole hand, so that's, okay. that's great. But uh, I've only had it, and I've asked a few people. I asked, I went to an immigration conference this summer, and I asked an, an IJ, an immigration judge, I said, because I was working like a check-in booth or whatever to earn my way in. And I said, hey, would you, have a, would you let me practice in your courtroom with this beard? He, he went, of course. I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, of course. He goes, now, I sit in San Francisco, so whatever. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I've had people tell me, like, so immigration is all federal, and federal is like n- gonna be more loose about mm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If you get into like small town, mm. like I interned for this awesome woman named Charlotte Fleming in uh, Springfield last year, mm-hmm. and she's got this powerhouse firm, and that sits in the seat of Robertson County. So she's like this the small like small town whatever, and that place like that's a tobacco county, and she said like. Women had to wear, couldn't wear slacks until like a few years ago. And like, um, because it's a tobacco era, like you could smoke in the courtroom until like the early 2000s. She said the whole jury would just be puffing away. She said you couldn't see in there. So like that kind of place is going to be like, you know. Okay, I had to ask. Is yeah. My Cousin Vinny one of your favorite movies? <laughs> <laughs> see, that's the thing about me. Or like, Runaway Jury. Two epic movies about I'm not a, I'm not a law... God. Have you seen those movies? I have. I've seen Runaway Jury. Phenomenal. Movie. I've seen My Cousin Vinny. I haven't seen Runaway Jury. You should, you should. I also don't get to see a lot. Of <laughs> yeah, you have no time. Yeah, when but you, uh, when you get out of the the yeah. big into the work. when I get out and I get into the profession where everybody is overworked all the time, yeah, I'm right. sure I'll jump right on. Yeah, <laughs> but um, so that that's been a, like the worst. Now the they're as a just because I have to throw it out there, like the current person who's the head of career services is this woman named Lisa Doster, who's like amazing and she was a public service rep for a long time at another law school and so she's looking for people like she was at a law school that was more focused on like her like corporate placement like this other one was but she comes here and she's like a public service person and she's all about like i walked into her office just ready to quit and she's like what do you want to do and i'm like i want to work with this thing and i want to do like i don't even know like i want to do immigration and humanitarian i don't even know where to work for those people like i'm just gonna have to try and find and she had options that i'd never heard of before like there's so much flexibility in how you do your career that i hadn't thought of and she's wonderful okay so if if anybody anybody who feels bad should go see her 
I'm I'm gonna pray that you do not give up because I think we need you. Yeah, I mean that. I really do. I think we need you. Well, it it all worked out. Like I sort of entered law school in a crisis, and I was like, I want to do immigration or adoption, and I can't afford to get like a master's in social work because I wouldn't be able to pay for it afterwards. And I kind of like recklessly jumped into this law school thing too because I was, you know, part of it was trying to impress this girl and. That I wanted to. You went down to law with. school for a girl? Not not entirely, but I just don't want to. I don't want to pretend like that wasn't part of it. That That's I wasn't tr- trying to come up with, you know, a viable are you, option. Are you still with the girl? No. No. Yeah. So what went wrong? Oh, that is a whole other podcast for sure. <laughs> um, lots of stuff. Like I, I mean, I started. I started seeing a therapist before I entered law school because I wanted help with the transition. Yeah. And I, and then I later got one who's actually really good. Um, and I've been with him ever since. And like, I, this has been the most dynamic period of personal change for me for the last, since that period. And it's been horrible. Like the trauma of law school, the trauma of like losing that relationship, but like realizing things like, Oh, I took the easiest paths that I possibly could. Like my life is based on these, like the like sugariest, distractions and TV shows and video games and whatever. And like, I haven't built very much like livable foundation on like deep stuff, deep, real, like get you through life kind of stuff. All right. Two siblings. Yeah. Are you baby? No, I middle. Where are you? So I have an, my oldest brother, my sister's three years older than me. I keep saying my oldest brother. I don't even want older brother. That's okay. But Technically, I've, I've used that in a lot brother. of conversations, and I don't know why that's happening. The eldest child is your oldest brother. <laughs> See, correct. So my sister's three years older than me, um, and when she was a few months old, my parents adopted my brother who's three years older than her. So okay. he's six years older than me. And then I was the baby for five years, and then my little brother was born. So I'm sort of a mixed baby middle. Okay, got it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so... Yeah, and for the record, like I, I look really good on paper, but I'm a, I'm an internal train wreck. <laughs> oh, hey, we all are. Yeah, I'm slowly getting you know, my life that's, together. That's the point. The thing is, is it's all a journey. It's all the process, all of it. And yeah. when you take your last breath, yeah, I think a, a good life is one that is introspective and circumspective. Yeah, and, and that you've done. It sounds to me like you're on a path that is. It's going to help people. I think I'm on an incredible path. Yeah. I feel like, and this is a really what bad way to look at your life, but I feel like I'm about to be a really neat person. <laughs> well, I think you're already. I mean, so we, can, it's just so the audience knows, I this is the first time we've met. Yeah. We met on Instagram, which yeah. is how I find all the people I want on my podcast. Because I, I don't know what it is. I Facebook, I feel like, is a whole different world that you don't get people's true identities on that for some you know they're yeah. just they're saying whatever's making them angry in the oh, moment or i mean my yeah but you know, my, my instagram is. is definitely an edited version of my <laughs> life. Well, you had posted one particular post that yeah. drew me in and it was about this topic about immigration and, and yeah the uh, baby jail thing. yeah the baby and, jail and i and i would love to have you back with andrew free to talk about that yeah because see i would love to talk about it with somebody who really knows but it there there is a tragic problem there's a couple of family detention centers in the u.s obama just uh purchased or well not obama it's not like he went there with his visa but he okayed a giant i just read about this yeah he he okayed a giant a um, giant expansion and it's a it's a real mess like you're holding like women and small children in 
something very similar to a jail setting. Yes. It's portables out in the in the Texas heap surrounded by barbed wire. Yeah, and like, insane. You know, everything I, I know about it is is hearing reports from people who have worked there. So I don't really doubt my sources, but I haven't haven't been able to investigate it for myself. But there's crazy stuff happening out there. Yes. It's a for profit facility. Yes. It's Corrections Corporation just of America. Like, just like a prison. For yeah. profit starts to f everything. It's a mess. Up. Um, it starts to. It suddenly then you're you have an incentive to keep. People you have an incentive there, to keep people. I mean, which is and, insane. And I'm just for the record, one of my dear friends, who's a lovely woman. She's a nurse. She's brilliant. She's wonderful. She's Cuban, and she got stuck in a detention center for over three years before she was allowed to come into America. That's messed That's insane. And And she fell in love while she was there, by the way, with a uh, a guard, actually. That's amazing. And he nearly lost his job. He nearly had to go to jail. But they they truly fell in love, you know, and now they have you know, they're fine. They he had to he had to have a dishonorable discharge because of them falling in love. And they are now happy. God. And who's making in, that movie? Who's right, movie? I know they live in Florida. They have two beautiful, wonderful, incredibly bright children who yeah. are full grown now. And but that's the reality. It's so it's such. A, and there's like CCA. I mean, everything I've all the reports I've heard is basically CCA is making huge profits. They're funneling a lot of them back into lobbying, and people don't understand this that is like, corruption. To it's, me. It is corruption, and it, and I think it's it's a. It's a form of modern day slavery. Like if you're I holding think. someone against their will and making a profit from it, that sounds like slavery. Absolutely. To me. And they're doing, they're taking their profits, they're funneling them. You know, from the reports I've heard, they're funneling them into lobbying and like, especially with immigration. Like, there's a little more protections. It's not going any better, but there's some more protections when it comes to like criminal detention. But a lot of stuff that's a immigration detention is not a congressional law. It's a regulation. It's a regulation that says these people get expedited removal. These people have to be detained. These people don't. There's a lot of people in America who are who ICE is keeping track of, and they're they're here on ICE, not ISIS. Yeah, you ICE. might not have heard that, right? <laughs> Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, yes. and they just have to check in every week. Like they they have they have immigration cases pending. Yeah, they can go home. They can see their family. They can work if they have authorization, or sometimes if they don't. Yeah. And they have to check in once a week. And then there's some people who spend a year in a detention facility waiting for their... Or three. Or three. Or And five. there's all kinds of like crazy or rules. Or 20 like, in the case of your the story you told 20 years ago. Well, that was a refugee camp, but yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, there's crazy stuff. Like, I, you know, I've heard stories about ICE agents lying to people about their rights. I've heard oh, yeah. um, sure. attorneys can't bring coloring books in for little kids. You know, what? what is that? Like... Their education stuff is limited. Like um, it's a shit show. It's terrible, yeah. and and it's like I would love to have you on again talking about this very particular thing. Yeah, if if you would. These are the these are things that like get me feeling like I made the right decision. And I'm in the right place. That's I'm what like, gets me excited yeah. to know that you are on. You know, team. I'm going to end up somewhere making a difference. You're on Team Human. Definitely. God Definitely. bless. I mean, thank God. I I mean that. Yeah. I will cheers you to that cheers. with our lovely. Uh, Kentucky bourbon. This has gotten really nice. Mm-hmm. All right, before we finish up... I've, I know this has been the most scattered... No, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's just, this is what I love so much. That's why I'm doing these. I love it. You make no apology. It's just fantastic. Um, gotta ask about the beard. Yeah. 
And when I when I put your picture up on social media to They're advertise gonna, this are episode, ask about it. yeah. Well, no, I mean, hopefully you will give me a beautiful full beard regalia. Two questions. One, okay. yes. Have you ever entered a beard contest? I watched a documentary about this thing, and it's a big thing, the beard contest. I have not done that. I've had a lot of people asking about it. There's a Nashville Beard Club. It's like the Pognography. I can't remember the That's word. A big there's word. there's a word for like beard enthusiasts. And those guys have approached me a couple of times. One time in a bar, one time at an intersection, I was stopped at a red light, and a guy ran up and handed me his card. That's wonderful. <laughs> they're just—they're about to have one at the Ryman, like September third. Are you gonna go? Well, here's there's a couple of things. One is I don't know if I can still sign up, and it was a forty-five dollar entry fee at a time when I had no money because my okay. dog was sick and oh, whatever. Yeah, um, well, she's better now. right? She's better. Okay. Yeah, I don't, yeah, she's wonderful. Um, and then the other thing is they have a couple of different categories. Mm. And one category will be like shaped or whatever, and I don't have that. Mm-hmm. And the other category will be like natural growth, but mine's been trimmed on, so I don't know if I count in either way. Uh, and also, it would, but I know people have been like, man, I've seen people win those who don't have a beard as good as yours. And I'll be like, oh, you, have, no. you have an epic beard. It's really And I've lovely. learned so many like tricks about hair care that girls learn when they're like 12. Like I've started blowing it down in the mornings mm-hmm. and it makes it so much more manageable. And I bought a flat iron and I know how to straighten it now. The humidity has got to be a It's bad. It. Yeah. Oh, and I made the classic mistake. Uh, one day I was I had to go somewhere and I straightened my beard in the morning and then walked my dog and it was super humid outside oh. and it just went yeah. right back to Forget normal. Forget it. Yeah. It's so funny. I, I, I have like, naturally wavy hair that I straighten because yeah. it doesn't wave in any particular pattern. It's just <laughs> sort of a, an epic fail of calyx, basically. I love it. Yeah. So I feel your pain with the humidity here. It, it was just funny. It, it was, ridiculous. It, 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 I was sort of mad, but I was also like just laughing so hard to myself because I was like, any girl who's had to deal with this her whole life mm. would have told me not to do that. Mm-hmm. It was, and I was like, it's really funny to get to learn some of those lessons yeah. <laughs> in the beard. You can always go and get it uh, keratin treatment, and that'll keep it from getting. Well, here, the problem if is, they do that I part. don't know. I have had a real blowout. The first time I got it straightened, I got a, a blowout in a salon. I love that. It was at my cousin's salon in Asheville, and it was really funny. But the thing that is tricky is if you're if you're a woman or anyone with long hair, uh-huh. and you get your hair straightened, and you want to take a shower, you wrap it up, uh-huh. and you use dry shampoo or whatever. Harder with a beard. But I can't wrap this up. Yeah. It only stays straight as long as I don't take a shower, and yeah. I, I'm not okay with myself if I haven't. I feel cleaned. you. Yeah. So, <laughs> so far, no beard competition. I want you to be at the, the one in September. I yeah, maybe I, I maybe I'll raise some money for that. Can you just know. go? I mean, can you I can go as a spectator, but you I can't. Can, if you go that. and spectate, then you'll kind of know what your competition is. So next year you can crush it. That's a good thought. Yeah, know your competition yeah. so that you may crush but it. But also, like hanging on to my my meager um, music. I make really good music with some great people, but hanging on to those gigs while I'm... Who are you playing with now? So we can... uh, I have a regular gig, like, down... I mostly just... I just play cover bands. Okay, well, well, let's give them a shout-out. I play every Friday afternoon from 3 to 6.30 at the Tin Roof on Broadway, which okay. is my main thing. And um, with the band? Uh, well, I've been playing with this girl, Charity Byers, who's unbelievable and just had to move away. Aww. So I'm getting a new singer in, and we've... Tentatively renamed the band A Bad Case of the Mondays. I like that. That's wonderful. <laughs> um, and then I, I pick up some stuff here and there. I do sometimes play with Rick Brantley. Who's, oh, I love Rick. Yeah. Rick. Hurt people, hurt people. If Rick would ever put another full band show together. Oh, so, anyway. 
listening. He's been Rick. playing. He's been playing. Rick might be listening. Shows. I have no idea. Yeah, that was weird. Question number one. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the second question. Uh, what? What was the second? See, I got so distracted by the beard. Um, <laughs> it happens. Yeah. How, oh, I did want to. I, I'm curious. Once you graduate from law school and you go and you take the bar exam, which God bless you. I know that's going to be sweat yeah, be sweat box. How do you, do you just, is it like everything else? You just apply and hope the best man wins or uh, how does that work? It works, um, yeah, it, it works a lot of different ways. So you hope, I mean, the traditional law school method is you turn one of your summer internships into a position. Oh, that makes sense. So I, certainly if the guy, if Andrew that I worked for this summer, if he offered me a position, I would definitely take it because even though it's like an intense amount of work, i I don't know that I could learn as high level of stuff from anywhere else. And it would be easier to learn lower level stuff after. Mm-hmm. I'm currently in the process of trying to apply for some fellowships that would fund oh. me for a couple of years at a nonprofit. Yeah. That would be amazing. The one the nonprofit that I've interned at, Tennessee Justice for Our Neighbors, is an amazing place full of wonderful people. It's at this uh, place where actually President Obama visited a year or two called um, Casa Azafran, right at Nolansville in 440. And it has like a... Like a 11 or 12 amazing like businesses and advocate um, societies they teach English and dance and they have oh. financial planning and for refugees for immigrants um, yeah for, and yeah. Uh, Turk is there which is the Tennessee Immigrant and Refugee Rights Coalition okay. which does a lot of policy stuff for mm-hmm. there's a medical clinic like it's an amazing place Wonderful. a kitchen uh, where a lot of food trucks do their prep oh. um, of all kinds not just like yeah ethnic foods yeah um, so I would I would absolutely love like that's my hope is to end up with one of those people I've worked with. Okay. There's a million paths like out there, and I'm pretty I have a pretty high capacity for risk, and I can make a lot of money not a lot of money but I can make a fair living playing music if I need to be flexible when I get out and nothing sure. works out right away. So yeah yeah. Well, I wish you well with everything. Thank All right, you. favorite ethnic food. Oh gosh, I mean. Uh, if you had to eat it every day for the rest of your life. I mean, I could eat... Mine would be Thai. Oh, oh that's a really good one. Yeah, I, I love Indian. Thai. I love Ethiopian. I love all that stuff. Gosh, but every oh, day, man, have you been I to, have to say Have Thai. you been to Taj down mm, there? On I the haven't. I've heard it's great. It's so good. They have the panak yeah, I've heard it's great. paneer, which is like these grilled cheese cubes that are yeah. so good. Yeah, I mean, my um, the the taqueria near me, El Helician San Galatin, I could eat there. There was a there was a short period in my life when one of my roommates found that, and my only goal in life was to make enough money to pay my bills and eat there whenever I wanted to. That's hilarious. Like it's, uh, I've read fairly a fair amount of articles that say there's no such thing as like authentic Mexican food because it's really varied. Yeah. But it's like street style, like the small tacos, corn tortillas, or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I could just eat that. Yeah. All day, every day, for That's sure. Awesome. All right. How might people get in touch with you if they need to? I can't imagine why anyone would need to get in touch with me, but. I would welcome there to contact. Uh, ooh, what's the easiest? I mean, Instagram is fine. Uh, I turned it's on. Honor, wait, it's H I Z Z H I Z O N E R T H E M A Y O R. His honor, honor the, mayor. the mayor, but it's it's like cool one word. Spelling of his. Uh, yeah. It's like a joke that I misheard one time from like a letter in top ten or something. <laughs> um, they can email me my just my full name at gmail.com. Okay. Caleb at gmail. I turn down a lot of Facebook requests only because they're fake, not yeah, because I, I get, get a lot, lot of, of fake ones now. Yeah. They're always in military garb, which cracks me <laughs> up. They have like two friends, and they're always in full. Oh, military. that's funny because I get a lot of people who appear to be underage girls, oh, so well, they're clearly hot. targeting different. I think so. Demographics. I must look like 
like a patriot. Right? <laughs> Maybe they think you look like a woman who likes a man in uniform. Oh, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, I They're like, that. oh, that straight hair. Yeah. It's not wavy at all. Not she wavy. wants a guy in she wants, uniform. She needs a, 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 yeah, exactly. All right. Caleb Mundy, thank you so yeah. much. Yes. And I'll me. come back like in a year or two when I've done something and I know something. You know plenty and you've done a lot, first of all. Second of all, I would like to have you back before a year transpires with Andrew Free. Yeah. You should just, I mean, I would love that. You need to talk to him. Yeah. I, 